what's new? What's happening? Just lots of writerly stuff. That's about it. Let's talk about writerly. I'm super excited to talk to you about writerly stuff, man. I'm going to do a quick <laughs> intro. I'm going to do a quick intro sure. about your writer, writerly stuff. Um, it's for people that don't know. I chose to do this like Lifting Dead Army spotlight thing because you are so awesomely a member of the Lifting Dead Army, killing it. And uh, I thought it'd be cool to showcase a few of my friends and people I've got lucky enough to know through that, like yourself, that are also doing really awesome shit, not only in fitness, but in life, like writing horror novels and everything like that, man. So let's uh, let's talk about that. How's how's horror writer life and, and also racing bikes and drinking beer? Oh, yes. Uh, so we'll start with the horror writing life. Yeah. Uh, it's going pretty good. Um, I'm working on wrapping up a collection that I've been working for. Oh, I think I started it two years ago. Um, and it's a collection of short stories. that's more dark fantasy, dark sci-fi and some legit horror. So um, it's kind of, I'm kind of creating my own mythos with my own gods and demons and things of that nature. So awesome. um there's three stories that are kind of kicking off this mythos contained within the collection. And right now it's just making sure I have all the pieces lined up, right. And trying to write in this mythic voice versus my normal writing voice. That's proving to be very difficult. So, um, but I'm trying to get it to my publisher by Wednesday. So, uh, we'll see where it goes. I love to hear that. And well, what, um, what made you want to do something like that? Because uh, like you said, uh, from your first book, uh, Till We Become Monsters, shameless plug for those that are going to it up. It's, it's very good. It's very good. It's not necessarily the style it was written in. So what, what made you want to do that? Um, I've always liked myth. Um, and I really particularly enjoy cosmic horror. Um, and then as a kid, um, I always liked Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book. Um, and some other stories. And I always loved his voice. And I kind of I wanted to write something that dealt with myth, cosmic horror in that epic mythological myth explaining voice that Rudyard Kipling does. Yeah. So I thought I'd take a stab at it. Don't That's know awesome. if I'm pulling it off, but we'll see. <laughs> Yes, you are. Not with, yeah, you know, not with that attitude. You're not. You know? <laughs> well, That's I have a friend who, who is, is extremely, extremely gifted at having that voice. So he's giving me a lot of pointers and he's helping me out a lot. So oh, cool. um, I'm happy to have a friend who is very experienced in writing in that voice. <laughs> so is it weird for you to write in the, um, like, would you say it's, it's not your own voice, right? Is it a voice you're creating? Do you feel like you're like creating a narrator or a narrative voice if that's what they call it, right? Yeah. Um, and I am, and it's, it's weird. Cause there's some things that like I say to myself in my head that kind of sounds Kipling esque, mm -hmm. but when I write it out on paper, it's not coming out that way. So, um, it, it's kind of, it's, it's been a very odd experience trying to change to this writing style. Um, cause the characters themselves, they, they're like, pre-religion pre-civilizations okay, and wow. so it's trying to keep within those times not modernize it like my friend told me he's like don't use contractions so anything that's like don't didn't cannot or can't get rid of that and write it out so um it's it's been an enlightening experience we'll just say that <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure it helps you grow as an author, right? Like just moving into different territory and challenging yourself in different ways. Yeah, because after I kind of started going through this, I'm, I'm working on another story that has like kind of that myth voice elements um, where one of the characters is from another world that even though they can time travel, their civilization isn't as advanced in a way. Um, and so he has to speak kind of with that okay. epic mythological voice. So that's cool. It sounds very bold. <laughs> sounds yeah. like a bold move, and I like bold moves. Yeah, it's it's different. So we'll see if if it can pull off, if I can pull this off. If not, I think there's like 10 other stories in in the in the collection that are you know written in the current times and have a current voice so those probably make more sense (laughs) so the those specific stories that are written uh that way are those like is it like lovecraftian like it's all in the same universe but different stories or what so all the stories tie into one another so the three stories in the book i'm sorry you know they they tie in together and you may not see it in this book, but you'll see it in my other work that's going to be coming in the future too. I like it. So good question. Thank you. I like um, it. Yeah. So, so the, the three mythological stories um, with the gods kind of kicks off these other stories. Like these other stories play a specific role within the myth as it advances into the future. So, um, so yeah, so we'll see how it all goes, but yeah, they all tie in together but you're not going to see all the tie-ins until some of my other stuff comes out in probably in the next two or three years. I like hearing that you have, uh, you have lots of plans to release new stuff then that that's awesome because you only have one published book out, right? Am I right about that? I have one published book and I have um, a few short stories and a couple of anthologies, but okay. Yep. One, one piece of long fiction at this time that's been published. And it's really good. I'm not just saying that because we're friends. Oh, thank you. Thank you. you. Know? I appreciate I mean, that. I mean, it's how I met you. And like, you know, I don't mean to sound, please don't take any like disrespect to this. But if, a, if I see an author at a horror convention, I'm a little bit skeptical right off the bat. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep. I, have to, I have to be honest. You know, I've, I've, I've read some things that were not so great, but I respect like the drive and the hustle and, and the art to do it because it really doesn't matter if it's good or not. But I was really, really, really impressed by it, man. It was, it's a really good little horror story it's very very well done man so let's talk about that a little bit what was the um what was the inspiration what was the mindset that you were in when you knew you wanted to write that story um so that story that story goes back I started it in 2013 um and I had written it it actually started as a short story um where I was a part of a group called the sarcastic muse there were two horror writers a contemporary off two contemporary authors and one romance author and I wanted to write something that would absolutely creep out my romance writer friend. I love that. So it started off as a short story about these three guys, two brothers and their best friend that get stranded in a blizzard. Um, pretty much the brothers and their relationship as it is in the novel is kind of what it was in this short story. One of them ends up eating the best friend. Mm. And um, as I was writing it, I'm like, this, this is so much bigger. And so I expanded upon it because I wanted to focus more on the psychology of each character because they're all messed up. They're all terrible human beings. In the beginning of the book, I think the biggest, I don't know if it's been a complaint, but a feedback that I've gotten from a lot of readers is they couldn't, like as an author, you want at least one character to kind of like 
resonate with your readers, that your readers love them. But I think the biggest complaint I have gotten is that people didn't like the book because they felt like they couldn't connect with any of the characters because they were all horrible human beings. And so I kind of, but I set it up that way in the beginning. And then towards the end, when you start getting into the point of view of those characters, you see why they act the way they do. And I'm hoping to humanize that. Maybe it's something in a future revision I can do a little bit better on, but um, the whole goal of the story is, was to kind of portray, you don't quite know what's going through another person's mind. So they may be acting selfish and self-centered, but there's a reason they're doing that. And so it's taking the time to understand why they're acting in that way, Mm -hmm. because it could save the both of you a lot of grief down the road. If it's something that could be worked through, like in, in the example in this, in my book is that the two brothers hated each other because the one was an introvert, an intellectual introvert. And the other one, you know, was just an in your face. I need everything all the time. I need all this love and stuff, but really it was because they were lacking that relationship. And if they just said, Hey man, I love you. It would, I wouldn't have my book. (laughs) So it's just, it's like talking through that to understand why people are the way they are. And that will break down so many barriers. Um, That's why kind of deviating here, why I love that mental health is talked about today. Sure. Um, Because I think a lot of people have been misunderstood over the years because we've all suffered through mental health, but have not talked about it. And it's created some awkward situations and angry situations. And so that was another reason for the book is to kind of raise a little bit of awareness around mental health and that we should be open about it. I think that's why I liked it so much. You know, I, I didn't see it as a fault at all. Like that all your characters were fuck ups because that's what I relate to. You know, that's why I like it. Yeah. And, and that's, that was kind of hard for me to explain to some people um, because I, I, I've had a lot of fuck ups in my life. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, that's how some of it is kind of how I related and feelings that I've had felt in the past and why my feelings were wrong. Um, and yeah, I think, cause like you said, we've kind of gone through experiences where we understand why those people may not be liked initially and we can resonate with them in that regard. For sure. Yeah. It makes it more relatable and it seems like it was a therapeutic book for you to write, or at least, you know, you were coming from it with some sort of knowledge of the subject matter, the deeper metaphorical subject matter that's ultimately the really scary the really scary part about the book right it's not the monsters that you yeah and that's what i it's always the monsters inside that terrify me sure so that that's why i enjoyed writing this book um because another part of it is like you know you have relationships with people and you think you know them and then five years down the road they turn out to be something else and i think yeah. I've lived that horror a couple times, unfortunately. Um, and you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, we all, we've all done that. Yeah. You see it on Dateline all the time too. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, it, it, it I, I guess part of that was me just reaching out to everybody also to say, yeah, I acknowledge a lot of us go through that. You know, we live with people who we think are one way five years later, we find out they're another way. I sympathize with you. Oh yeah. Uh, me too. <laughs> Yeah, that is. But, um, you know, that's the importance of horror displaying, like delivering that message in that way, because, you know, people that uh, gravitate towards horror and stuff like this, you know, where 
the misfits or the people that have, mm-hmm. have been damaged and need therapy and, and have gone through that that kind of thing so if they can find something like that through horror uh, book or music or anything like that like that's really the the important thing you know to recognize yeah. right yeah and and you know i think another reason why at least and this is my perceptions or my opinion that you know people like us kind of gravitate towards horror is we've had much scarier experiences in our lives sure. than what we see in books on horror books in horror movies i mean most of us probably have not been chased by you know like ghost face but um we've had just personal experiences that are much more terrifying than that so yeah i think we're desensitized that is the perfect way to say it yeah we need something to up the ante i just think everything's boring you know everything else is boring if it's not yeah well i've gotten to the point in my life where i'm really struggling to find a scary movie that scares me yeah, me too. What was the last movie that scared you, you think? Um, I don't know if it scared me, but I was very unsettled after it was hereditary. I was going to say that. Everybody's saying that. I mean, that's legit, though. It is yeah. a very unnerving movie, you know? Yeah, it's. It, I was very unnerved. But nothing else has really bugged me since no, I'm or with you. prior. Like, it's just I try to go back. I'm like, the only other other unsettling movie was probably when I was like I think I was 12 when I saw The Exorcist for the first time was that the first movie you think that really scared you The Exorcist when I was 12 I saw it so now that I watch it today I'm like what yeah totally (laughs) that's not that scary (laughs) I feel the same way I, I just talked about this on the last podcast I did but the first movie that ever scared me was Jeepers Creepers Oh. I saw that when I was like seven and it like uh-huh. had this like permanent scar on me but now when I watch it it's like goofy but I totally mm-hmm. understand like why I was afraid of it because it is kind of like the undertones are very like sexual and dark and fucked up it's like subconsciously like a twisted movie mm-hmm. I kind of uh grown to appreciate that now and also The Strangers really scared me when that came out oh I remember that that was that was a unnerving one too yeah it's like the yeah. realistic like you know no reason to it it's why the Halloween was scary originally because mm-hmm. Michael Myers had no motive then they ruined yep. it by giving him a million motives and that's why yes. none of the sequels work right exactly exactly <laughs> yeah you being a horror writer you probably are just like can't even stand what's happening in modern horror movies with how they're written right I'm yeah you. it's it's I I've started the more and more I get into writing, the more and more I start picking things apart, but not in a bad way. Cause it's just helping me with my own writing in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard when you're like, I always appreciate everybody's art. Um, but it's sometimes it's hard when you're so involved in the same genre mm. to, you know, not, be like oh they should have done this with the plot like i just watched a movie the other day nanny i think it just released on netflix and it's a beautiful movie it's absolutely terrifying up until the last 15 minutes and like everything just gets resolved in 15 minutes and it it's like the horror just starts as the movie's ending and i'm like you could have taken this in such a different direction you could have like continued on the horror you could have made it a hell of a lot worse but you just ended it and and i don't want to give away what happens um because the suspense up until that point is amazing but i felt like it was a lot of suspense for absolutely nothing and that's the thing man that's the thing that um you know being a writer teaches you in the uh small escapades of writing that I've taken myself is pacing's really hard to, you know, yeah. 
and it, you want to you don't want to overwrite but you kind of want to get to the point and i think that's where a lot of movies fail too is, is the pacing of the whole thing mm-hmm. agreed agreed but you know that's the same way with strength training and lifting and cycling and all that stuff pacing true. it's mm-hmm. true you're doing my job you're making the physical metaphor the physical connections too but it is real. <laughs> you know the gym teaches you lessons like that any mm-hmm. form of fitness does you know yeah you know and very uh, true so you um let's talk about your bike racing now that's a good segue into that how's that going and what's uh how'd you get into that um so We'll see how this year goes. Last year, um, I was sick a couple times and I missed some races, which I was really bummed about. Um, but I did have a couple races where I almost got on the podium. Like there was one race I came in fourth and another one I came in sixth. Awesome. The one I came in fourth, I'm, I'm, I'm like kicking myself because at some point along the way, I thought, oh, I'm so far back. You know, I'm just going to stop and take some pretty pictures. And the, the person who wasn't fourth passed me and I didn't know it. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, cause it was like, it was a race where I'm like, I'm just not going to race it. I'm just going to ride it. And here it turns out I was in third the whole time and didn't know it. That's okay, man. I like, I like people that march to the beat of their own drum. You're like, I'm just going to stop and take pictures. Cause I want to, yes, yeah, I, a, I, more, of a, more of a power move. It's cooler than winning a medal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I'm, I'm really trying to focus on my writing this year. So, um, Last year, I struggled a bit to balance the the racing and the training yeah. with finding time to write because I also work a full time job where I'm averaging about nine to ten hours a day working there. So um, this year, I'm trying to figure out the balance. I do have a couple races I'm already signed up for because that'll make me train. Awesome. Um, I'm a part of a, a group of women, uh, Dirty Kitten Racing, um, so they kind of inspire me to keep going. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what, what this season brings. That's cool, man. I mean, do you do it? You do it. I know you're a competitive person, but do you do it for the competition or do you do it mainly just for the, you know, the working out aspect of it or the fitness? It's, it's both. Um, because before I get on the start line, it would be for the fitness and I'm going into the race thinking, I just did this for the fitness. I did this just to make myself feel better. But as soon as that gun goes off, it's like the competitive switch flips and like, then it's just go. Um, and then when I'm done, then the competitive switch turns off and it's back to just being about the fitness. So, um, I don't think I train hard enough to be an, a, 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 Competitive cyclist. Um, I don't put enough time in for that because I have priorities elsewhere too, but I at least try to compete within my area that I could achieve something one day. Definitely. You will. That's really cool. And balance is the hardest thing, no matter what. It is. Always. It is. I have no expectation of ever being elite or pro. (laughs) Well, that's always good. Then you're never disappointed, you know? Exactly. Your expectations low and you will succeed. Exactly. (laughs) So how do you find time to write then with the, you know, trying to train and working crazy hours? What is your, like, uh, do you have a writing routine or is it just whenever you can? Um, I'm trying to figure a routine out. I've tried a couple things and they just, I haven't been able to stick to them. Uh Um, sometimes if I get time over lunch, I'll, I'll, I bring my laptop with me and I'll just sit out in like a break room or something and write. Um, I was trying to wake up early. I'm adopting a dog. 
this weekend. And so she'll make me get up early. So I'm hoping that will get me on a routine to get up early, to let her out and then sit down on my computer and write maybe for an hour before I have to get ready to go to work. So, um, I do better writing in the mornings than I do in the evening. So, yeah, I know uh, a lot of people say, and I find this true with myself too. I do my best creative work early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, drink some coffee or whatever, and just like it's kind of in your zone before anything else distracts you. You can exactly kind of attention. I think that yeah, that people means. are still sleeping. No one's texting or calling. So right. yeah, yeah, that's the move. That's the move. That's why I always recommend like stretch, do some work, mm-hmm. set your day up right. The morning is morning is huge. Yep, your morning meditations. Yeah. There's yeah. also something cool about staying up late too, because that makes you kind of like uh, put you in a creative headspace, makes you kind of loopy and stuff. It, it does. Yeah. I find after the, like the 11 PM to 2 AM, if I'm up writing, like yeah. I come out with some deranged stuff and it's like, Oh God. So yeah, it's either late night or early mornings. The deranged stuff is good though. That's why they say write drunk and edit sober. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Get exactly. all the crazy stuff out. Then in the morning might be like, I don't know. I don't know about that, but we're, we're getting somewhere, right? Yeah. Yep. That's cool, man. Do you, um, where do you get, um, that's the most stupid question to probably ever ask a writer is where do you get your ideas, but how, like, I guess the better way to frame that is, are you looking for ideas all the time or do you just wait till you, one hits you anything like that? One, it's just stuff will just hit me. And like the, the other day, uh, I was sitting on the couch with a friend and we were watching, um, like ghost hunters but it was some other kind of ghost people because it was just like we wanted something mindless yeah i don't never find any ghosts they never well this one this one was finding everything and so it's Uh, like all right yeah right right, but sometimes (laughs) i get inspiration from that but but one of the one of the um the the owner of the house made a comment um where she said something along the lines and i'm completely paraphrasing um that you have your locks and alarms that you set to keep you safe from what's outside the house, but what keeps you safe from inside the house. And like, as soon as she said that, like, it's just like my brain went off. I ran to my desk and I just started scribbling. That's cool. Man. Yeah, yeah. You need to, you need to, when those inspirate moments of inspiration strike you, you need to, you need to snag them because they're, you know, they're out in the world for other people to grab if you don't. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's why you always have a notebook on hand. Beat them to the punch. Yeah. I guess the mm-hmm. iPhone kind of takes place of that, but I'm old school too. I like to like handwrite stuff like that. Yep. I, I can't, I can't, I've not been able to like convert fully over to digital. It's I, I got a handwrite. <laughs> Good. Uh, we're, we're old souls. That's yes, what, you know, we are. <laughs> you wouldn't be writing like Lovecraft if you weren't, you know, what it true, true. <laughs> Do you, uh, do you write stories in longhand and then type them? Sometimes I do. Like usually the short stories, I'll, I'll write out a good portion of them and then type them up. Um, my novels, I might write a chapter here or there. Um, like maybe I'm sitting, like if I'm at work and I don't have my laptop and it's lunch, I'll sit down and write a chapter, Mm -hmm. um, or something that's in my mind. Like sometimes I'll have like dialogue going between two characters. And so when I'm on break, I'll just sit and write it out. Um, and then when I get home, I type it up and then file it away till I get to that part in the story of where it needs to fit in. Cause nothing is linear. It all comes at all different times. And you know, it's like, I'm, I, there's some authors out there that like are strict outliners start to the finish plotters. They go the whole way through, they have their plan. They're not going to deviate. Then you have the pantsers who just sit and write. I'm kind of like in between where I kind of have a rough outline. Yeah. But then it's a free for all for what actually happens. 
Right. I think that's a healthy spot to be and not, not even just with writing, like anything in life, you don't want to be so rigid that you limit like your spontaneity and, and, and creativity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's exactly right. Cause when, when you limit yourself in, in the creative aspect, you're just going to stifle right. your, your progression. Right. Were you always a horror writer day one? Did you ever? Try yeah. Horrible? Yeah. I th- yeah. Pretty much. I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I, it's probably like second grade and we had to write some just a like a story just a little quick story and all these kids are writing about how much they love their parents or some vacation they went on and yeah. i wrote about two people in a hot air balloon that goes down over the savannah and they fall on top of a bunch of lions and they have to kill the lions and use their skin to patch the hole in the hot air balloon heck yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> how old were you what was it what grade was it it had to have been second grade and we had to draw art for it so they're they're if i keep asking my mom if she still has it but i remember drawing the pictures of them skinning the lions that's ridiculous yeah that's awesome i uh seriously i just found my grandma just found a uh, story i wrote in second grade about um a uh, clown chasing a kid through a carnival wanting to kill him See, and I, you're, I have, you're a horror writer too straight up i will send you uh, i'll send you pictures of it because it's it's hilarious there's illustrations <laughs> and everything and i it had um, to be like third grade nice i i need to see that if i ever find mine i'll send you pictures <laughs> yeah it's really funny it's really it's really funny so i'm glad to hear that so what went wrong in your childhood to make you become a horror writer what happened oh god just you know typical life typical um, life. Me too. Yeah. That was more or less a joke, but you don't have to answer that super seriously if you don't want to. <laughs> I do remember though, the first, the scariest thing I saw when I was a child that it's still like implanted in my mind is there was like this made for TV version, like 1985 of Alice in Wonderland. And they had the Jabberwock come in. And like, if you watch it now, it's like, okay, it is creepy, but it's clearly a guy in a very terrible rubber suit. But I just remember being so terrified that I couldn't go anywhere where there's mirrors. I still to this day can't sleep in a room with mirrors. Oh, interesting. Because I keep thinking, because the Jabberwock came through a mirror and grabbed yeah. Alice and pulled her through. Yeah. So it's still a phobia I have today. But that's all that's, I, that's the route that I always go back to and pick at when I'm thinking horror, when I'm thinking about monsters yeah. or anything psychological, I go mm-hmm. back to that Jabberwock. Yeah. Um, because it's the first thing I remember and I had to have been like four, five. Yeah. made it made a mark on you for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely did. That's interesting. Yeah. You have to go back there. I think that's the key to good stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you put yourself back in that place and you know, you, you create that for someone else or yourself, you know, agreed. That's agreed. really awesome. It's really awesome. Did just horror as a genre in general, like movies and stuff always, that mm-hmm. always too has been your favorite. Just grab it. Yeah. My parents were, I don't want to say they were strict, but they were strict. (laughs) They, you know, there were, there were, they didn't really wasn't allowed to watch R rated movies until we were older, unless, you know, my dad saw it first and thought it was okay. Yeah. Um, so anything I did watch, I had to sneak over and watch at my friend's house. So, so um, yeah, it's like, I didn't have a lot of exposure to horror movies when I was a kid. Uh Um, like I remember being on the bus with my friends in like the fourth and fifth grade and them telling me about Freddy Krueger and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not allowed to watch that until I would go to a friend's house and they would be playing it. And it's like, Oh, this is what this is about. 
Yeah, it's like taboo and exciting because mm-hmm. you weren't allowed yep. to watch it. I was the opposite. My parents were like, you're six. You can watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So <sighs> what could possibly go wrong? You know, so that's where that was. And I was just always, like I said, I was just bored with other other genres. And I always found something in horror that I never got anywhere else. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I am. Unless there's like monsters in some way, shape or form, like any kind of like sci-fi book that has dinosaurs in it. I'm all over. Nice. So you like monsters and like Godzilla and King Kong? And yeah. Like- yep. I yeah. love all of them. Yeah, love any anything that is, you know, big, has teeth and claws and is completely not of this world or yeah. from the past. I want it. <laughs> that is the most fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm interested to see what you put into your new works, you know, with the, the other worldly stuff. I, I think I, I can feel like I feel like there's some interesting shit going down in there and I'm excited. Yes, this is going to be a fun one. When I'm enjoying we, this. When can we expect to see that? Is there a timeline at all? Nope. I'm going to send it off to my publisher and see yeah. what they think about it. Um, and then if they like it, I'm going to try to get it turned around quickly, but it's all based off of their publishing schedule, which I don't know about. And not up to you, unfortunately. No, nah, that's not up to me. Um, and if they don't like it, like if it doesn't fit within, because I don't, I don't publish with a horror publisher. Um, I publish with, with the, um, Woodhall press and they do a lot of different genres, fiction, nonfiction, literary. Um, so I don't, I don't know what would be too extreme for them. I haven't had that talk with them yet. I should pro- I'll probably have it with them whenever this comes out. Cause there is one, actually two stories in this collection that I am going to put a trigger warning at the front of the book for love it uh, i love trigger warnings that makes me buy things immediately you know well me too if i see a trigger warning i'm like yank <laughs> yeah so do that definitely <laughs> it's a yeah good marketing tool but if they if they like it you know i'll try to get it turned around as fast as possible whatever fits on their schedule and if not then i'll i'll it'll take a little longer because i'll have to pitch it somewhere else yeah would you ever put it out yourself no nah. Yeah, I, it's yeah. I, I I have a lot of admiration for people who self-publish because it takes a lot of time. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. I I I won't do it because I just don't have the time. Yeah. yeah it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And I'm and I'm a perfectionist, and it will never come out because nothing's ever perfect enough for me. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like an independent band or anything else. Like release stuff your own. It, it's hard, and it t- takes a lot of time and a lot of money and you know a lot of effort. It does, but. I, I have a lot of, like I said, I have a lot of admiration for people who self-publish because oh, that's a lot of effort going in there. And if they can pull it off, you're, you're a God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do it, do it anyway. Even if it's not published, it's so important to write and, and read. It is. You know, that's where it all comes from. Right. So any writer is a good reader. So what, um, what books, uh, what, what inspired you to want to write in the first place? Do you have like a favorite books or like books you read at, at, when you were young that really uh, stuck with you? Yeah. Um, so Shirley Jackson oh, was yeah. what really, she really pulled me into literary horror. Um, uh, what was it? We, we've always lived in the castle, the haunting, like those, I just, I love her voice. It's sure. funny though. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just saying, if you can hear my dogs, they'll shut up soon. They're, I have two oh. below me. So it's not, it's not <laughs> no worries. Um, I was reading a, a biography about her that came out three years ago. And in there, she, she said the, the author of the biography said that she found a letter where Shirley didn't call herself a horror author. She's, so I 
think I thought it was quite interesting that she wrote these psychologically horrific stories, but she never considered herself a horror author. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that always stuck with me. Um, she had a pretty and, rough life, didn't she? If I remember right, like yeah, a crazy marriage and like just like kind of dark shit surrounding. Yeah. Her. Yeah. She had a she had a lot of darkness. The poor soul. But yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's what makes the best shit. It really does, because it's where you pull the best infer- inspiration from. Exactly. I know. Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah, that's that's the dichotomy of being a writer, I guess. That's why, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe is the, best, is the most famous mm-hmm. horror author and the most perfect example of that, right? True, very true. And he never made any money, so what's up with that, man? I know, I know. And if he were alive today, he would be a billionaire. Right? Mm-hmm. How hard is it to make legit money as a writer, do you, by your estimation? I think it's really hard. Um yeah especially in the horror genre it's big right now but there's a lot of incredible talent out there and so the competition's high um there's a lot of small presses out there so a lot more books are coming out but also i'm curious to see where writing is going to go in the future with ai technology that's coming out um it's getting a little scary seeing you know that what AI can reproduce in art. And I know artists and graphic designers are having the same concerns. Um, You know, they're starting to write novels. They're going to start writing news articles. Um, So it's, I think, I think, and I could be wrong here. Some people might get pissed off with me for saying this, but I think that big boom in being a famous author who makes a living off of writing. I think those days are over. Um, unless you are extremely prolific and you have a lot of stuff out there right now to have a good, um, platform to stand on that you don't have to work a full-time job and, you know, you're, you're making enough writing money off your writing. Um, there are still those, those who can, who are there today, but I think people who are newer to the writing industry in general, I think we're going to struggle more. Well, that's any artist, you know, that's what anybody in a band will tell you to, right? You know, any, yeah. of any sort of thing like that. It's a very scary, weird time, but that's also why, you know, the work you do is important. You're like mar- martyrs in a way, you know, you're not <laughs> making, making money and having a, you know, maybe a less comfortable existence to do something you're passionate about is always cooler anyway, right? Yeah. I, I mean, even though it'd be great to be a full-time writer, I have no expectation of ever being that. So I'm just going to put out what I can put out because I just, I enjoy it so much. And I just want to share my scary thoughts with everybody else in the world. See yeah. how many people that I didn't think love horror actually come to me and go, Oh my God, this was great. And yeah, it's great, man. That's cool. That's cool to hear. And uh, you know, in a way that probably makes the work better too, because you're pushing, you're putting it out just because you love it and you want to, mm-hmm. you know, money doesn't really matter. So that, you know, if that becomes a factor that could be in the back of your head and kind of taint your writing and you can maybe want to have the urge to write a more commercial thing and nothing with a warning sticker that isn't cool you know yeah 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 this is i'm just writing for me at this point that's great man and uh so those things we can look for do you have a website or anything that people can check you out on or i do it's it's just my name amandahedley.com Awesome. I'll link that up. And I know we did a pretty cool written interview too before this. And I'll, I'll link that to this too. If people are more interested, they can, they can check that out, which I urge you to, you, you answered the questions very, you have some pretty cool answers. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So what's, uh, 
So the books, anything else, anything else next coming up for you? Interesting? Nope. Just racing dog. and writing. The dog, new dog oh. racing and writing. Yep. Yep. My new little dog that I hopefully get on the seventh. Do you have any uh, conventions planned or any shows coming up? Yeah, I do. Um, oh gosh. I have a couple coming up and I'm drawing a blank. Huh? Let's let the people know, you know? Yeah. Uh, AuthorCon at the end of March. Um, there's the horror on Maine in Huntington Valley, Maryland. No, not Huntington Valley, Hunt Valley, Maryland. Um, that is Memorial Day weekend. And then I'll be at StokerCon in Pittsburgh, which you should try to get to. I'm there, man. Yeah, it's, it's no doubt. That's in June, right? Am I, am I yeah. wrong about that? It's in yeah. June. Yep. June, I'll be there for sure. It's in Station Square. Done. Yeah, the, the panels um, are incredible. So many so many talented, knowledgeable people. Like you'll learn so much from these authors. That's really cool. So it's like, it's a horror writing convention. Stoker, obviously from Stoker, right? Dracula. Yeah. So it's, it's the horror writers association. It's the annual convention. And then it kind of gets capped off at the end of the week um, by the Stoker awards. So it's kind of like one of the most prestigious awards within the horror genre um, to, for, you know, authors and screenwriters and producers to win. That sounds really awesome, man. I'd, I'd love to go. I'd love to check that out. I feel yeah. like I'm so bad keeping up with current things. Like, you know, you say the horror genre is really big right now, but like, I, and I'd like to consider myself someone that pays attention a little bit. And I'm sure I haven't read like nearly any like new stuff or know of any authors that are really that new. And I feel bad about that. So what are some good new stuff? What, what's some, what am I missing? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh, not, I got to see. It's like, I had a list and then yeah. I just blanked out, but um, some, some hot authors right now, Haley Piper, Eric LaRocca, Laurel Hightower, um, Red Legault, Todd Kiesling, um, so I can good, see ev man. everyone's faces. Lee Murray, who is a doll. I absolutely adore her. Um, she, she writes a lot of mytho myth mythological horror based out of New Zealand, which is like as Americans to read another culture's yeah, that's horror. Right. Is, right. It, it's, it's, I get tingles when I read her stuff because it's just so interesting. I'm, gonna, I'm writing that down right now. Done. See, this is why. Yeah, you, you would like her stuff. Yeah, definitely. She sounds cool. And like, uh, like you said, anything from like, you know, New Zealand's basically another planet to us anyway. I'm always interested to see what, you know, their myths are and, you know, what, what scares any other culture that's not ours. Like there's. They have some scary stuff. <laughs> I can imagine all that stuff's cool. Yeah. Makes you wonder about the human imagination in different parts of the world like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's really cool. That's that's the thing I love about the internet these days is being able to go and explore other cultures to see what their legends and lore are. Yeah. Um, and then it's cool to kind of link it up to see, you know, my heritage is culture and lore versus another culture, mm -hmm. and see where there's similarities. Yeah. So is that a a research tactic you do when you're when you're writing books do you like to look at other cultures stuff like that yeah that's that's kind of the dark rabbit hole i always fall down because i'll start like I, I was doing estonia myth actually i was reading about some of their um gods and demons today and 
it's just like I started going down the rabbit hole and then how it like lift linked to Irish myth and folklore. And then I came back to, you know, First Nations myth and folklore. And it was just like this big circle. But it was interesting how many parallels across the entire globe there are with this lore. And this is like pre-internet, pre-TV. I mean, pre yeah global communications right. that everyone is coming up with these stories that are very similar. It's, yeah. It makes you wonder, right? Mm-hmm. It's that spooky in itself. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm fascinated by all that stuff too. I, I read all that stuff. So that's very funny. That's yeah. very fun. It's very, uh, it's very cool to know that there's other people out there that, that <laughs> dig into all that for fun too. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fun little rabbit hole to fall down. Well, we're looking forward to your stuff. Keep us updated. Thanks. Real. I'll definitely do that. Well, thanks for joining us. That was really, it was really fun. I'm finally glad to have you on and I'll link all everything up for people to check out because you should everybody. That was me talking to everybody. Thanks a bunch. Thanks Amanda. Yeah. It's always fun to see you stay in touch. Well, I'm sure I'll see you at one of the shows soon. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Hopefully at SoakerCon. All right, man. Have fun. Thank yep, you. You too. See ya. Good night. <laughs>